the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. One zero three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can dial eight seven seven six three zero KSLR or numerically at six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR. Mobile app, just hit the call now button at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, let me apologize to you for yesterday. I had no voice and um, I'm finding something here. And uh, I just wanted, if my voice would hold out, I wanted to, to, to be here today live. So please be patient with my voice. If I have to take a break or something to clear my throat, uh, I know you guys will be patient, so we would love your live calls and questions. Let's get right to some questions that have been sent in, and then we'll wait for your phone calls. Uh, the first one is from Daniel from our email inbox. He says, I was reading Isaiah twenty six twenty in the Authorized Standard Version last night. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers. Isn't that beautiful language, Daniel? I love the Authorized Version and the King James Version. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers, and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself for a little moment, until the indignation be overpassed. And then here's the question. What should we take away from this, or rather, what exactly is that saying? I'll tell you one thing it's saying, Daniel, with that kind of poetic language. I mean, there should be a song. I mean, I can, I can see myself making this into a worship song. Well, I couldn't do it, but somebody with talent could. Um, it's beautiful. But let me talk about this for a moment because it's, there's a couple of things that are in view here. Um, first, this is a real and literal prophecy. And one of the things about prophecy, especially when you get into Isaiah, uh, into Ezekiel and Jeremiah, um, um, that prophesy all the way down to the end of, of history, um, there, there's often both a short-term and a long-term fulfillment in prophecy. So prophecy will come out, and um, uh, it, it will be have a fulfillment in history, something we can look back on and say, yeah, that happened. But it also has a long-term fulfillment. And, and in this case, I personally think that this also goes down into the time that we live in. So this is real, and it's literal. Um, during the Great Tribulation, Jews who refused to bow down before the Antichrist will be protected. They'll be taken to the rock city of Petra in Jordan, uh, where they'll be preserved until the end of the Great Tribulation. Uh, Then they're going to see Jesus coming in all his glory. A third of them are going to repent and be saved. We would understand that to mean they would be saved. Two-thirds, unfortunately, are still going to perish in their um, rebellion against the Lord. So so, um, these things have, Jews have been protected by the Lord in the short term, remember Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, uh, when you see these signs happen, um, then run. Uh, it, it, things are going to be really hard. 
and he was talking about 70 AD, there were Jews who were protected during that uh, uh, wartime. Um, the second thing that's going on here, and I'm one, there are some people, I happen to be one of them, who believe that this is a picture of the rapture of the church and where we will be taken to heaven away from the scene of violence that will come upon the whole earth. Jesus said that we're to be, uh, we should pray to be counted worthy of escaping such judgment, and when his wrath is complete, we will return with him in glory. Verse 21 in that same passage, the last uh, verse in the, in the chapter, says, Behold, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the blood shed upon her, and she will conceal her slain no longer. So this is one of those cases, Daniel, where we've got both short-term and long-term fulfillment uh, of the passage of Scripture. Good question. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585. Our second question is from our mobile app from Ben. He says, Joyce Meyer, could you please give your insight on her ministry? I have a fellow member who likes her ministry, a young Christian. Ben, um, uh, yeah, her ministry is not a good one. Um, I would discourage your young Christian uh, mightily. I don't know if this is a, a, a man or woman who's a young member that you're speaking about, but, but this, is, this is a really, really problematic ministry. Now, let me share with you some of the things that her teaching is wrong about. Um, now, let me also say this before I even go into this. In 2019, she admitted that her prosperity doctrines were a little bit out of balance. Now, I would argue that they were completely out of balance, way out of balance, but at least in our hope here is that the Holy Spirit is working on her heart. But that was 2019, and in two th- from now, then until now, 2021, there hasn't been much change in the emphasis of her ministry. But she is definitely a prosperity teacher, sort of a name-it-and-claim-it teacher, and, uh, and, and obviously that's false doctrine. But there's way more. Um, she's is taught that Jesus literally stopped being the Son of God on the cross. God couldn't be punished that way. God couldn't take the wrath of God. So Jesus stopped being God on the cross. Now, we know if that was the case, then he never was God. God is always and forever. Uh, he, he can't stop being God. And she, the heresy there is that she taught that God stopped being uh, God on the cross. She, she said he could have helped himself up until the point where he said, I command, I commend my spirit in your hands. And she kind of thought that was like a negative confession. At that point, she couldn't do, or, or he couldn't do anything to help himself anymore. Uh, she also teaches that Jesus, and this is classic prosperity doctrine. There's a lot of teachers, Kenneth Copeland and Jesse Duplantis, um, and many, many other prosperity doctrine uh, teachers who claim that Jesus went to hell and became the first born-again Christian. Uh, a quote, do you know something? The minute that blood sacrifice was accepted, Jesus was the first human being that was ever born again. Now, that was real. It happened when he was in hell. And, of course, we know that, too, is heresy. So, Ben, this is a, a, a ministry that's really problematic, and I fear for your young Christian friend. She also teaches that Jesus paid for our sins in hell, and not on the cross. So on the cross, he had to go to hell, and he had to be tortured. He had to be uh, um, brutally beaten uh, and suffer uh, in hell for sins before he emerged victorious as that first morning in Christian. Uh, she teaches, and this again is classic faith prosperity doctrine, she teaches that words have power, and you can release the power of heaven through your words. She also teaches that you need special revelation from God to understand what she teaches because it's not contained in the Bible elsewhere. Um, and then uh, equally problematic, she teaches that she herself no longer is a sinner. So um, the answer to your question, I think, Ben, is obvious, but this is a very problematic ministry. Let me add one other thing. Uh, because she is so unbelievably popular with women. 
Um, I think, and this is just my own insights into listening to her um, on the times that I have, and I've listened to her a fair amount. She she promotes a sort of a, a female rebellious spirit, uh, rebellious against authority. Uh, she is very bold, and and uh, you know she says all the right things, and she's like I said immensely popular, um, but. There's just nothing at all, Ben, that I can commend about this ministry. And that always makes some women mad because they think that she's going to be okay. Uh, This one is from Alan from our email inbox. How can I explain to one of my parents that even though they are divorced, they cannot be living with someone else just because they're lonely and for financial need? What scripture could I use? Um, Alan... Uh, I, I think we have, I had a question similar to this one. Maybe you didn't hear it when I answered it uh, the first time. Um, um, you can't explain anything to them. Uh, they're they're unbelievers. They're living like unbelievers, and the Holy Spirit needs to to fall upon them. You can tell them it's wrong. The Bible says it's sin. Um, the Bible doesn't really care about their loneliness. They don't care about financial needs. Um, but but the, the passage of Scripture, all the ones, 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians chapter 5, about people who live like they're living will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's sexual immorality. Um, and so they're divorced. That's unfortunate. Um, but what, the truth, Alan, is your mom and your dad needs Jesus. And as a Christian... It's your responsibility. It's hard, I know, especially for a a child to to minister to their parents, but it's your responsibility to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, to Alan and to everybody else, uh, on Sunday, uh, Lord willing, it'll be communion Sunday here at Calvary Chapel, uh, I have the privilege of preaching um, 1 Corinthians 15, the first eight verses in in the passage. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, tune in, calvaryessay.com, and we'll talk about the gospel. And that's what your parents need. They need to know what they're doing is wrong. That we don't get exceptions. There's no loopholes in the scriptures. Sin, sexual sin, is wrong. And people who live like this won't inherit the kingdom of God. And then you just tell them. And, and this is, I use this a lot. And I use it because it demonstrates our heart. And for a son, it would be so easy to say, Alan, that I just can't imagine getting to heaven and finding out that you're not there. I want you to be in heaven. And the way you're living right now, you won't go to heaven. And then, Alan, the only thing you can do, two things you can do. One, you can live your life with Christ so full of joy. You can be so committed to him that your light shines so brightly that it's blinding to them. And the other thing you can do, and I'm sure you already are doing, Alan, is praying for them. So pray, 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 pray for them. And, and, and be firm in your stand on holiness. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord, the Bible tells us. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your questions. Here's a question that breaks my heart from Anne Marie. She says, why is the world so broken? I am losing hope. Anne, please listen carefully. I don't want to be misunderstood here. People who are losing hope have their hope in the wrong place. There is no hope in this world. Jesus came to mend your broken heart. Because he's the only legitimate source of hope at all. The world is broken because we're sinners. The world is broken because we've rejected God. We've decided that God is wrong about what's right and what's wrong. And we suddenly know more than God. And we're paying the price for that kind of rebellion against God. So here's my sincere counsel to you, Anne-Marie. Put your hope in Christ. He will never disappoint you. I'm assuming you're a believer. Why would a believer have any hope in this world? 
you know, we grow up, we want to be great, we want to do something great. It's just something instinctively built into all of us. But then when we finally do grow up, we realize that there's no answers. This world has no answers for anything. People think they do. They're arrogant. They think they're smart. Now we're so connected, this information age that we have, we can get opinions on everything from everyone. And I would suggest that that's why the world is so broken. We're not looking to the only one who is a genuine source of hope. Do you remember Anne-Marie when Jesus encountered the woman at the well in Samaria? Uh, She was pretty much without hope. She was out drawing water in the middle of the day in the heat. Nobody ever went out to draw water in the middle of the day. It was a woman's job, by the way, back then. And and they would go out early in the day before the heat came. It was a long walk out and a long, hard, difficult walk back. But she was out there because the other women wanted nothing to do with her. She was living with a man that she wasn't married to, and she'd been married to five others. And she found hope for the first time in the person of Jesus Christ. And you remember the very first thing that she did, realizing who it was that she was speaking to, she ran into the town, the town that had rejected her, the town that she really had no connection to other than she was good with the men. And she said, come and see a prophet who's told me everything I ever did. A little bit of hyperbole, but at the same time, This is a woman nobody would listen to, but there was something different about her. When hope comes flooding back into your life, Anne-Marie, people notice. So all I can ask you to do is put your hope in Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes that we're to set our minds and our hearts on things above. The mind is the place of decision. The heart is the place of affection. If your mind is on heaven, if your mind is on Jesus... If your heart, the things you love, if you love Jesus, I promise you, Henry, hope will come flooding back because this is a hope that won't disappoint. Jesus was broken so we wouldn't have to be broken. He died to forgive us of our sins, to make access to God, and that, Henry, is the place of hope. And there's no other resource. So all I can say, not knowing who you are, all I can say is that your hope is in the wrong place in the first place. So don't lose hope. And Maria, I, I trust you're reading your Bible. I trust you're involved and actively engaged in a Bible-teaching church. And there's fellowship all around you. If you're not, then I invite you to stop by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. It doesn't matter what day you come by, but what you're going to walk into is a room full of people so filled with hope that their joy can't be contained. And I'm talking about people, some of them who are suffering with COVID, some of them who are suffering with cancer diagnoses, some of them who have lost children and all kinds of other issues. And yet there's still this unquenchable joy And so please, 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 you'll find that in your church if you're part of a church. But you got to be looking in the right places. So, Henry, that's all I have for you. I hope and pray that you will find your way to hope. Anonymous question says, would you still believe in God if the evidence proved otherwise? Um... Anonymous, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to answer your question. But I'm going to refer you to the message that I did this past Sunday. Um, And then go back to the previous Sunday where we had a guest speaker who presented the evidence for the gospel of Jesus Christ being true. So would I still believe in God if the evidence proved otherwise? Um... Anonymous, there's no possibility of the evidence proving otherwise. You know, people can speculate, we can have opinions about things, but the evidence is overwhelming. Jesus really lived. 
He really died. He really didn't stay dead. One man with a ministry in a very small geographical area, one man has changed this world like no one ever has, like no group of men ever has. He's changed my heart, my life. I know it's true because I know who I was and gratefully who I now am. I know it's true because even when I mess up, Anonymous, his arms are extended to me. I know it's true because I walk with him every day and talk with him every day. I wouldn't do that if it wasn't true. That would be silly. So the idea, and I think what you're trying to do is you're saying, well, well, you guys are so narrow-minded that even if we had concrete evidence otherwise, that you wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't believe it because the evidence for the truth of Jesus Christ is absolutely overwhelming. I would suggest, Anonymous, that you might be the one who's being a little bit narrow-minded. You cannot. There's no honest person. I'm talking about intellectual and spiritual integrity who can look at the evidence and say it's not true. Now, you may come to the conclusion, it's true, Jesus is God, but I don't care. At least that's an honest rejection. But to suggest that it's not true seems to indicate that you haven't yourself looked at the evidence. Overwhelming, undeniable, irrefutable evidence in who Jesus was and what he did. So Anonymous, all I can say to you is if you're really wanting to find truth, you'll find it. We're inside now, I think, about four minutes for this half of the program. We'd love your live calls and questions. It would give my voice a break uh, in the program as well. So uh, here's a question from James. Uh, He says, can Christians believe in evolution? Um, James, generally speaking, Christians can believe in evolution, just not for very long. Um, You know, evolution has been crammed down our throats and um, in public schools from the time we we could begin to learn. And so, yeah, we come to faith in Christ and a lot of people believe in evolution because that's what they were told is true. Told by teachers, they trust, and parents. And um, The thing is, you can't be a Christian and believe in evolution for long. You see, once you have the Holy Spirit living in you, he's the spirit of truth. Jesus said he would guide us into all truth. And um, James, if you don't take the first 11 chapters of Genesis literally, and I mean literally, as written, not interpreted, as written, then we lose every major doctrine of the New Testament church. If Adam wasn't real, if Eve wasn't real, if they weren't the first two real people, human beings, the way we understand human beings, then we don't have a Savior because Jesus affirmed that they were the first two, and that means he would be lying. If you don't believe in original sin, if you don't believe in Adam and Eve, and you, you, and you don't if you believe in evolution, by the way. If you don't believe in Adam and Eve, then, um, th- th- then there's no federal headship. There's no uh, way sin passes from one generation to the next. It is the sin nature of Adam that we all caught because he sinned. We don't believe in substitutionary penal atonement if you don't take the first 11 chapters of Genesis literally. And so, James' evolution is a denial of faith in Christ because Jesus affirmed not only the, the creation account, but he affirmed a lot of social issues around it, marriage uh, between one man and one woman, um, foremost among them. So there's all kinds of things, but no... Um, a Christian who has been saved for a while, who says he or she still believes in evolution, is somebody who really needs to be born again. See, we don't come to Jesus and say, okay, cover my sins and I'm going to go on living my life the way I've been living it or I'm going to go on believe, believing what I've always believed. We come to Jesus to be made brand new. And the way we are made brand new is by the renewing of our mind in the Word of God as the Spirit of God sheds light on the Word of God. 
And one of the very first things, James, that you have to believe is that God is the creator of all things. And if you don't believe that, then the first four words of the Bible have disqualified you from believing in the rest of the Bible. That's how important an issue this is, James. So if you are the Christian that wants to know, well, what about evolution? We don't have to be embarrassed to proclaim that in six literal days, Christ made the world. We don't be embarrassed to believe in a young earth less than 10,000 years old. The evidence, seemingly, if you'll look, is, as I said to the previous question, overwhelming. Hey, thank you for hanging in there with my voice. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program 30 minutes to go for my voice so you can be praying for me out there in the audience here's a question that just came to our email inbox from jose He says, on the subject of tongues or any other non-essential gospel issue, how can I or should I discuss my different understanding with other church members without appearing to cause division in the church and ensure I stay honoring to the elders? Jose, I so appreciate the tone of your question. Uh, Simply the, the, the insertion, or should I discuss my different understanding? So often, you know, when we think we've got some doctrine um, doctrinal truth and and nobody we want to make sure everybody knows what we know so god bless you uh jose for not um not taking that attitude um as you indicated this is a non-essential issue and i'm going to give you my opinion and then i'll give you maybe a little direction in terms of 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 how to walk the balance um my opinion is jose if you're in a church where tongues is being abused, um, that's just the tip of the iceberg in that church for problems. So rather than change your church, and I know we like to change, we don't like changing churches. We we get relationships with people that we don't want to jeopardize. But if you're in a church that is abusing tongues, you're in a in an unhealthy, unbalanced church. So I don't think you should discuss your different understanding. I think you got to go find a church that actually believes the Bible. If you were in a church that is a church like we are, and I've just done a very long, maybe four-month-long series through 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, where we talked about tongues a lot. And there were people who disagreed with the conclusions that we we drew, that tongues are not to be spoken of uh, or spoken out of order. They're, they're not to be spoken by everybody at the same time um, um, in the church assembly. And I've, I had people come and say, well, well, I just disagree. And I say, but, but biblically, how do you disagree? Well, I just believe different than you, and your interpretation is different than mine. And Jose, what I tell them is, I didn't interpret it. I just read it. What does it say? And what should we do based on what it says? So depending on which side of the issue you're on, I think what you ought to do, and this is what I told those people, well, if you want an opportunity to speak in tongues out of order, it's not going to happen at Calvary Chapel, so you need to find another church. And and uh, that's what I would tell you. If you uh, are, and it sounds like you are, Jose, um, you know, the church is out of order and, and you want to, to stay in your church, and, and be heard, uh, I think the only thing you can do is go talk to the pastor or to the elders. Um, don't talk to anybody else. Don't talk to people in the, in the church body. Um, that would appear that you're, you're dishonoring the elders. I think what you say is, is uh, here are the biblical reasons that I believe what you're doing is incorrect. And I would ask you to prayerfully consider those. But don't expect to change the church. 
And then, Jose, what you do is you find a church that more than likely lines up with where you are in this, with the issue. Let me say one thing that's really important here, Jose. If you are in the out-of-order church, then you need to really study your Bible. Paul tells Timothy that we're to be workmen rightly dividing the Word of God. And there's no room for opinion. There's no room for disagreement. We love our brothers and sisters in churches that are out of control. But they're out of control. And as I said at the beginning of answering your question, Jose, if you're in a church that's out of control, there's all kinds of other things that are wrong in this church. You know, I just talked this past Sunday about uh, order in the church in terms of uh, Paul saying, I do not permit a woman to speak uh, in church. They should remain quiet in the assembly. And, and um, you know, in Corinth, that's a cultural issue. It's clearly a cultural issue. And I, I proved that by going to the First Timothy chapter 2 passage. So talking about women pastors. Um, you know, women pastors are so ordinary now, so normal, that they hardly raise an eyebrow anymore. But you see, every church with a woman pastor is a church that's out of control. It doesn't mean the, the, the woman pastor or the people in the church aren't saved. Certainly that's not the issue. This is a non-essential issue. But it means that the church is outside of the will of God, meaning they're selling for less than the full blessings of God. So what, what I would hope everybody would do, Jose, is just say, okay, here's what the Bible says we should do in a church. I'm going to go find a church that looks like that. So again, I, I truly respect your your heart, um, the approach, um, your desire to honor the elders, um, but you've got to decide if that's a church that fits what you think a church should be. Just make sure you're on the side of the Bible. This one is from Gary from our mobile app. He says, will all people except for Jews be damned with the great illusion? Um, Gary, the, 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 the great delusion, it's not illusion, it's delusion, um, uh, is going to be for everybody. Uh, there's, there's a third of the Jews in Jerusalem who will not um, um, be overtaken by this delusion. Uh, it's a lie. And, and, and once they see Jesus at the end, they're going to, they're going to repent. As he, or, I'm sorry, Zechariah chapters 12 and 14 are pretty specific about that. Um, but once Jesus is gone, uh, once rather the church is gone, um, when the light is taking away and the Holy Spirit stops working in his restraining power through the church of Jesus Christ, people are going to believe anything. And so, um, yeah, they're going to believe in the Antichrist. They're going to believe in a one-world government. They're going to believe in all the things uh, that the world is selling them. But, Gary, that's not too far from where we are now. I say all the time, you know, people think we're crazy for being Christians, but listen to some of the things that they believe. That delusion is already here. And the only thing holding it back from being completely all-consuming is the Holy Spirit working in and through the church. I mean, think about something, Gary. We believe in a historical Jesus who died for the sins of the world, who proved he could forgive sins, since only God can forgive, and it was validated by an empty tomb. He was dead, and then and now he's alive. And people look at us like we got a third eye in our forehead. What is wrong with you? You believe that? These we're in the twenty first century. Ask that same person. Do you believe in UFOs? Do you believe in? Little Martians or spacemen? And they say, well, of course I do. Do you believe in ghosts? I had a question last week about ghosts. Do you believe in ghosts? And the answer was no. Dead people are in the place of torment, the center of the earth. No, I don't believe in ghosts. But they believe in that nonsense. They believe in reincarnation. They believe in the laws of karma. Now think about it. That's just wishful thinking, especially reincarnation. My goodness, if I do bad in this, I get a second chance in the next life. 
They'll believe all that nonsense, Gary, but they won't believe the historical, provable truth of Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. They say, well, why are we so easily deluded? The answer is simple. We like to sin. Gary, we love sin. It's our favorite thing. And so somebody tells us something I want to do is sin. We get angry. Believe me, the gay community in our world will never stop until Christians stop calling what they're doing sin. So the great delusion has already begun. People are buying it lock, stock, and barrel. And the truth is that it's getting more and more pronounced with each day we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ. Gary, hey, thanks for using our mobile app, and thank you for the phone call, and I'm sorry, not the phone call, but for the question from our mobile app. Deborah wants to know, what happens to people who never hear about Jesus? Um, Deborah, we don't have to worry about people who never hear the name Jesus. You know, a whole bunch of people are in Hebrews chapter 11 who never heard about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But they believed God, and it was credited to them as righteousness. So they never heard the name Jesus Christ. We also have New Testament answers to this question. Romans chapter 1 says that God gave us a conscience. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. Instinctively, we know. And God, a good God, can be the only source of that conscience. If we respond to our conscience in a way that seeks that God, well, then God will reveal himself to us. We have creation. The heavens declare the glory of God day after day. The poor, poor speech, there is no nation or language that they can't understand. So the truth is, when they respond to that. You know, you look at the sun every day rising in the east and setting in the west. In some parts of the world, you know that every every winter it's going to be cold. Every spring it's going to get chirpy and happy and a little bit warmer. Every summer it's going to be hot. And then every fall it's going to descend the other direction. We happen to be in that cycle now with fall. And, and, and that just screams, there is a creator. And if it doesn't matter where you are or what time frame you were born in, if you look to that sun rising in the east every day and come to the conclusion, I want to know the God who hung that sun in the sky. And if you really want to know him, he's going to reveal himself to you. He's a rewarder of those who diligently or earnestly seek him, the Bible says. So we have to worry about that. When we respond to the light we have, God always gives more light. And so, Deborah, we don't have to worry about what happens to people who never hear about Jesus. He's the only way. And we can be justified by faith, by believing in his word. Thank you for the question. There was my first cough break. Thank you. Uh, Here is an anonymous question. This one also breaks my heart. Bad teaching. Um, I think I'm predestined to hell. I've tried believing but cannot. Is it fair that God would just decide to send me to hell? Um, no, it wouldn't be fair at all, Anonymous. It would not be fair at all if God just decided to send you to hell. If he said, well, I'm going to save you, but I'm going to condemn you. I'm going to save you. You know, it's sort of an eeny, meeny, money mo thing. But here's the problem. You've been listening to some really bad Calvinistic or Reformed teaching. Now, what interests me the most is you're saying you've tried believing but cannot. What in the world does that mean? Believing is just a decision. Are you waiting for some thing to happen to you? Okay, Jesus, if you're real, show me. Were you waiting for a miracle? Let me give you a miracle. Jesus died and he didn't stay dead. Let me give you a miracle about all the, 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 the... Hordes of people that received miracles from Jesus, written historically, not just by our gospel writers, but by can but canonized by Josephus and other secular historical writers. 
I've never really been able to understand what somebody says means when they say, I tried believing but cannot. It's not a shirt you try on. If it doesn't fit, you take it off. You just believe. That's the faith element of our gospel. You've got to believe in it. It's, it's not blind faith, anonymous. It's faith based on overwhelming evidence. So all you do is you say, Jesus, the evidence is overwhelming, so I believe it. You know, when we, we go to court, I don't know, Anonymous, if you've ever had a jury summons. Uh, I have. Now, I never get on any juries because the minute they find out I'm a pastor, they, they disqualify me. But, but when you, if you were a juror, you listen to however many days of testimony there is, and you evaluate the evidence, and then you come to a, 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 a sometimes a life-altering decision. Is he or she guilty, or are they innocent? But you do it based on the evidence. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. Now, here's the best news of all. I can tell you you're not predestined to hell. And I'm going to prove that because I'm going to ask you, Anonymous, whoever you are, I'm going to ask you, will you choose, based on the evidence, the overwhelming evidence of Jesus Christ, Will you choose to believe that he is the Son of God, who is God the Son, who died for the sins of the world, and then ask him to be the Lord and Savior of your life? Now, see, you you put in your thing, I've tried believing but cannot. I just proved you can believe. Right now, all you have to do is say yes. And if someone's been messing with your mind by saying, well, you know, God chose some to be predestined to hell and others to be predestined to heaven, um... I'm giving you the opportunity to decide right now which it is. You make the decision, not God. God knows the choice you're going to make. But God doesn't cause the choice that you're going to make. Right now, you can say, I believe. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. My life I will live for you. If you do that, you've just proven how fair and just God really is and how gracious, wonderfully gracious he is because what he's done is take somebody who falsely accused him. You judged God. You said, I think I'm predestined to hell. That's judging the heart of God. And you know what? He loved you in spite of it. Romans eight twenty nine 29, and Anonymous, this is a very personal passage of scripture for me. Which says, I'm just giving you my paraphrase of it because I take it very personal. I hope you will too. God chose to love me before the foundation of time. But because he knew that I was going to become his adopted son in February of 1991, February 23rd, because he knew that, God decided that he was going to love me and nobody could change his mind, not even the horrible things I had done could change his mind. That, Anonymous, is a loving God. And I invite you to believe. And all you have to do is say yes. Great question. 340-9585. On the day I have no voice, our phones are quiet. Here's a related question. Anonymous says, why does it matter that I share the gospel since God knows who's going to say yes or no? Well, it matters because if you're not sharing the gospel, you're not being obedient. God gives direction. He doesn't ask us if we agree with that direction. He tells us to share the gospel. Paul, writing to Philemon in the sixth verse of that one letter, Pearl, he says, I pray, and he's talking to a man who's a pastor now. He says, I pray that you will be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. If you're not sharing the gospel, this wonderful news, then you don't understand the gospel at all. You don't get it. Secondly, you share the gospel because Jesus told us to. How can we keep quiet? Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. As a believer, if you love him, why aren't you obeying him? Now, I know it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. I get the silliness. Well, you know, sometimes this sounds so good on the Internet when people write it. And you you want to get a bunch of likes, just do this. Say, well, you know, I share the gospel every day. And sometimes I even use words. 
You can't share the gospel without words. Of course we should share our life with people. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But that's not sharing the gospel. That's sharing your light. And that's a good thing, and we all ought to do it, but that ought to be a matter of the course of our lives, day in and day out. But if you're not telling people about Jesus, then not everybody's going to want to hear. A lot of people are going to reject you. All of that is okay. I get that. We don't like rejection, but here's what I know. We have to do it anyway. We have to do it anyway. So share. Let God decide who is and who isn't. Again, God does know who's going to be saved, but he doesn't cause people to say yes or he doesn't cause people to say no. He just knows what they're going to do. Romans 1, I'm sorry, Romans 8 and 1 Peter chapter 1. Okay, thank you very much. Bailed out with a phone call. Let's go to Michaela in San Antonio on line 1. Michaela, thank you for calling. Hi, Michaela. Hi. So I had a question about Eve from the Bible in Genesis. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, okay. so you know how they say that people say that she lied when she said they couldn't even touch the tree? Uh-huh. So, so but if they say that her eating from the tree was the first sin, I think if she lied, then that would have been the first sin. Well, um, she didn't. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a willful lie, Michaela. Here's what she's saying. And, and remember, she was being tempted directly by the devil himself. And so, when she said, "God told us that we could not eat the fruit of this tree, nor even touch it," she was sort of losing touch with the command of God. It'd be like a, a person who says, "Well, um, I know that I'm not supposed to do this, but God knows my heart." So she wasn't really lying. It wasn't willful lies. She just was in the process of being deceived. And, and part of the reason that she was open for deception is instead of holding on to the word of God that she was sure of, she was adding to the word of God. So the Bible doesn't say that she, or God didn't tell them they couldn't touch it. The Bible said or God said that they, 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 they couldn't eat the tree. And she just sort of lost sight of the original vision. Now, Michaela, here's the reason I think your question is so good and so important. Um, We need to know what the Bible says. And when we know what the Bible says and hold on to that, then we're not going to be easily deceived by the world that we live in or by the devil, the enemy of our soul. Um, So that's why we really have to know the word of God. And, And believe me, Eve knew clearly. Adam knew clearly that they, they weren't to eat that fruit. But uh, as she was in the process of being deceived, and uh, Paul makes it really clear in Second Timothy chapter 2, I think it's verse 13, that Adam was not deceived, Eve was deceived. Adam's sin, Michaela, was willful and rebellious. Eve was a victim of deception, and she just fell into the devil's trap. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Okay, good. How old are you, Michaela? Thirteen. Thirteen. Well, you keep reading your Bible. You got you got the right start. God bless you. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. See, when I hear young people who are reading their Bibles and asking questions, Michaela is a young girl um, going through changes in her life, going out into a world that is scary but she's holding on to the word of God and she's asking questions and God will always honor that so Michaela I am absolutely thrilled for you thank you for that here's probably the last question I'm going to get today I've got two minutes okay this one is from Jennifer she says is belief and trust the same thing Um, Jennifer they're related obviously but they're not the same thing belief or faith Uh, We're talking about believing a message or believing the Word of God. That's a decision that has eternal implications. Trust 
is the faith to live every day. Active, trusting God. So believing, we have to believe. We have to believe in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By this gospel you are saved, we're told, in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, So we have to believe the message and eternity is settled. But then we have to trust the one that we put our faith in. Now, it's always been difficult for me to understand why somebody could trust Jesus for eternal life but wouldn't trust him for Tuesday. Today's Tuesday. And, you know, we run into situations where difficult things happen or we find ourselves in that temptation of doing the right thing or the wrong thing and we we choose the wrong thing uh, because it seems easier at the time. Trust is just trusting that if I obey God, the one I chose to believe for my eternity, if I trust him just for today, then Jesus is going to be pleased. So belief is eternal. Trust is something we, we practice every day. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But it's also impossible to walk with him every day without trusting what he said. Thank you, Jennifer. Hey, thank you for the questions. Thanks for putting up with my voice. Pray that I'll be all better tomorrow. You've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.